Hey there, and welcome to Speak Easy with Kendra Fisher. Join me each week as my guests and I take a deep dive into all of the conversations we've been taught are better left unsaid. No more silence, no more hiding. This is a safe space where anything goes. I am so excited about today's show. I am joined here by, I mean, legendary in her own right, Erin Ambrose. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. And I don't think you can use the word legendary beside my name. In her own right? I mean, those of us have opinions and perspectives. So frankly, you can't take away my right to see you that way. You're you're right. I I can't. You're <laughs> so, you know, before we get started here, I'm I'm a big fan of letting you tell your story. I mean, frankly, I could sit here and I could rhyme off all of your accomplishments and everything else, but I'm a lot more interested in how you see yourself to get this started. So, you know, for those of us that, you know, maybe haven't been around this decade and don't know who you are. Um, you know, tell us a bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do, who you are, and all of the glory. All of the things. Um, I think the craziest thing is when you say decade, that I now think about it as it's been over a decade that I've been in the Hockey Canada program. Um, so the people you're getting that old. I've been around this day, de- yeah, I am getting old. I, I hate <laughs> to say it, but <clears throat> um, I am a young, young, young. <laughs> going to keep saying that. Uh, I'm a young lady from Keswick, Ontario. Um, So just north of Toronto. I grew up there, um, spent probably, I guess, all of my adolescence um, in Keswick, played minor hockey in Keswick, Georgina, and then moved to boys hockey. Well, was in boys hockey, moved to AAA for York Simcoe Express. Um, Went to Keswick High School. It's a fantastic place um and also actually spent a year at the hill academy this is me okay. trying to go back and forth between hockey and i like it everything not and hockey, life which wasn't a lot outside of hockey yeah um attended <clears throat> clarkson university and somehow made it through four years at Clark- clarkson university which for those that do know my story know that my freshman year first semester was a academic probation based first semester um, so really bounced back strong there. Um, and then, like I said, I've been with hockey Canada since I was a ripe old age of 14 years old, spent three Amazing. years in the under 18 program, uh, followed up by under 22, obviously, uh, made my debut with the senior national team in 2014 and didn't return back until 2017 and officially can call myself an Olympic champion after the 2020 Olympics. Right. So now how can I not use the word legend? Like that's all pretty darn cool. So you know what? You just, you just, you just told the world I was right. So thank you for that. I'll take the affirmation. Um, now let's skip back a bit. Cause, cause you know, when we get into these conversations and we hear sentences that start with, for those who know my story tends to suggest we're hitting on something that, uh, comes with a bit more to it. So first year Clarkson university, I'm guessing first time really away from home. Yep. Um, yep. And what's the story? How did we end up on academic probation? That's a great question, to be honest, because I was a good, better than good student in high school, um, like was honor roll student, 
Um, and I got to college and one, it would be beneficial to read the material before attending class, which <laughs> kind of wasn't something I was used to. Um, but I will like, I will flat out admit, like, I'm not a good test taker. Like yeah. I cannot take tests. Like if you gave me the exact same thing, but I had to explain it in an essay format, like I'm crushing it, but I just yeah. don't do well on tests. And I can admit that. Um, so that really kind of just bit me in the butt. Like I <clears throat> went to September camp with the senior national team, which would have been, I came in a week late because we had our August camp. So I missed the first week of college. And then two okay. weeks later had to leave for a September camp in which the week, week I was gone was our first round of midterms. So it was either I was doing the midterms before I left or had to do them when I got back. The ones I did when I got back, I obviously didn't study at all while I was away. So I bombed pretty much every exam possible. And yeah. um, I will say, though, I never failed a class in college. I was on academic probation, but never failed a class. So it was like you tread water hard enough and long enough that you could turn it around. I like it. Yeah, I mean, somehow that, well, I mean, knowing a bit more about the rest of your story, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I think that there's this kind of cool piece of ourselves where when we are survivors and when we are living with things that are perhaps more complex, we're really good at doing enough to not yep. let the world see it. 100%. So. I I'm not surprised to hear that. So you were talking about your team Canada journey, which is, I mean, incredible first off. And, and I applaud you on that. And I mean, obviously there's a little bit of jealousy here just cause you know, yeah. Um, anyways, so I'm just, it's not jealousy, it's admiration. Okay. But you, you spoke about a, a gap in there and what happened? What was the, what was the gap in team Canada for you? Yeah. Um, so I think one of the big things for me is when I look at my team Canada journey, um, everybody talks about my 2018, not making the Olympic team and then coming back in 2002 and that kind of being the big story. Um, but for me, it, I mean, I talk about it. I've been in the program for over a decade. Um, I am the only player in Canadian like Hockey Canada history to play three under 18 tournaments. Um, and I talk about it. Like I, my first camp, I just turned like 15. Like I literally yeah. turned 15, I think five days before I went to my first strength and conditioning camp. And I look back on it now and I'm like 15, 16, 17, all three years of U18s. I'm a part of Hockey Canada. I win two gold medals in that span. I get to college and I have a great first year of college. Um, and not saying I expected to be centralized, like I was young at yeah. 2014, but I think that that was definitely on my radar and something I wanted was to be centralized for those Olympics. And that didn't happen. And albeit had a great year in 2014, um, we won a national championship and I had an injury. So that was the first time I made my senior team was at four nations after Okay. Um, and I had an ankle injury and I think that that was kind of my, okay, I'm breaking through I'm kind of on the uprise. And, yeah. um, I honestly just, nothing came of it. I don't know. I definitely 
just, I didn't keep improving. I didn't keep growing with the game. I think my fitness levels were a big issue. Um, I don't think that I know that, um, but it was always good enough for college. And I think just in trying to balance things, like I had wrapped my head around the fact that hockey Canada was all that I was. And then I got to my first world championship, which was like, okay, now I'm finally experiencing like that had been my dream was to be at a world championship, obviously Olympics, but a world championship. And yeah. went to my first world championship personally did well. We lost the U S in the finals in overtime. And again, just kind of rolled on that momentum into centralization. And then I think when I got cut in 2018, it was like, okay, smack in the face. Like it's time yeah. to wake up and, this isn't just going to be a smooth trajectory. Um, but I also think it all, it made me reflect on, okay, it wasn't smooth sailing all the way from U18s all the way up to here. Like, yeah, this is my big disappointment, but at the same time, like my eyes should have been open to this in 2014 when I didn't make another team after that first four nations until 2017. So it was a rude awakening in the sense like it was my dream of the Olympics, but at the same time, like had I been a little bit more observant and stuff and not naive, I probably could have turned some things around um, in my career a little bit quicker than I did, I guess, after 2018. And so then what does that do to you? So, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with having your entire identity wrapped up in hockey and yeah. I'm unfortunately also very aware of the the risk of having your identity defined by something that you may not have as much control over as you think. So that moment comes, you don't make the team. Where do you go from there? Where does your head go from there? Where does your what's your next step? Goes to the deepest, darkest places I think that I can remember. Um, and I think, again, I go back to if I had opened my eyes and realized that it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows for the last four years leading up to Mm -hmm. 2018, I don't think it would have hit me as hard. Um, but I had put myself on a pedestal. I had expected success for myself, which I'm not saying I shouldn't have, but my dreams, I don't think were as close in reach as I thought they were, um, yeah. as I perceived them to be. And that made the fall down a heck of a lot harder. And, um, yeah, I was in some pretty dark places after 2018 and having the disappointment. And I wasn't in an okay enough spot to, to know that I was going to be okay because I hadn't done the work before. So I think if I would have put in more time and effort with, Myself personally, instead of just worrying about where I was going to go as a hockey player, um, I think that my success, when I didn't reach it, it wouldn't have been as crushing Yeah. Um, in more ways than just my confidence as a hockey player and my confidence as a person and um, kind of the dark holes that I did turn into, um, I don't think would have been as dark had I done the work beforehand on myself. So. You know, sitting here listening to this, and again, I, I have more insight than than others. And you know, I'm listening to this, and and this could play out two ways. You know, are we? 
is it a grief response to being cut from Team Canada or were you struggling from a mental health perspective? You know, was that an underlying issue for you leading up to this or was this something that triggered that for you? Uh, it was without a doubt an underlying issue. Um, kind of when I look back at things, I think one of my, well, not one of, um, I know that one of, I keep saying one of, it was my darkest day in the sense of, um, a certain day that I remember, I think like we both know Michael Landsberg, he's got his date that he remembers down to the hour and. Um, I don't know the exact date to be honest, but I know that it was in grade 11 that I had one of those days where like I'm in grade 11 and I look back at it now and what I did to myself there and the harm that I caused myself, like that's a day that should have been a heck of a lot more red flags than it was. Um, and I think everything after that, when I look at my mental health and when I struggled with it, it was kind of days after days after days it was longer periods of time whereas that in grade 11 was like a I can pinpoint that one day um so after that like getting cut it was not what opened the flood it wasn't it was what opened the floodgates but it was everything else that was just the tsunami of waves coming from everything that I had kind of pushed pushed aside or pushed under the rug before yeah so now you get to this place where you've now been cut. Uh, And I mean, uh, you know, historically my understanding with Team Canada and and my own experience and and other people's experience, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're no longer with a program. It doesn't mean that it's Mm -hmm. over. It doesn't mean that there's no hope of this moving forward. So, you know, when you when you get cut, where does your head go to? I mean, it's, it's the grief, it's the loss, it's the, the overwhelming response to it having just happened. But are you then in a place where you, is that like the motivator or was this gonna, you know, where did you go that day? That day, um, I ran away and flew to Montreal, um, or that next (laughs) Yeah. Um, which I'm very fortunate. Emmerin Smashmeyer, I guess, although she hadn't been a part of the centralization, she had been released um, prior to centralization yeah. happening because we only take three goalies. So Mash understood what I was going through. Um, so to be able to lean on her, not just immediately, yeah. but the rest of the year after was huge for me. And um, I am not one who is motivated by... I think like the disappointments or I'm a very internally motivated person and I just do it upon myself. There aren't external factors that really kind of push me to the next level. Like I've never been like that. Like if you and I are in the gym together and you're pushing 35 more pounds than me, like I, that doesn't do anything for me. It's, It's not, it's very internal all for me. So I think in that sense, yeah, I was disappointed by 2018. And yes, I did want to prove them wrong. Yeah. But I wouldn't sit here and say that it was like, okay, I'm going yeah. back. And I, like, I made changes because I wanted to make changes because I knew that I am a good enough hockey player and a good enough person to be able to take that next step. Yeah. Um, 
and all it was was an extra level of commitment. I don't think it was more hours that I had to wake up like the the fairy tale stories of I'm on the ice yeah. 20 minutes after like that's not what it was because that work ethic's always been there. It just wasn't I wasn't using it in the right ways. I wasn't tapping into the right foundation of which I guess my whole success of a hockey player is. Yeah. So for me, I just, I did not think about anything with Hockey Canada for the next four months. Like I got released in November and I don't think, I don't think I spoke to anybody really in Hockey Canada until like April before our May fitness testing in 2018. Like yeah, I tried to remove myself as much as possible. And um, part of me is very disappointed in how I handled that with my teammates that were carrying on with the journey. Yeah. Um, yeah. I look at, sorry, I'm taking forever to answer no, this no. question, but I look at our group in 2022. And one of the big things we preached was that there were 50 individuals that collectively were making us successful at the Olympics, yeah. whether you were released from the team, yeah. whether you were a staff member that was only here every so often, all 50 were a part of us at the Olympics. And, I am disappointed in myself that I didn't take more pride in helping my teammates on the journey in Pyeongchang. Um, because I think that that could have allowed me to grow more as a person, um, regardless of what happened as a hockey player. Uh, I think that I could have handled that better as a teammate in uh, 2018. I think just to play devil's advocate for you here, not that you're asking me to, but I'm going to anyway, maybe it's the motivational speaker in me. But I would also argue that if you were going through not only the complexity of living with and then experiencing that floodgate opening with your own mental health struggles, also the absolute, you know, torment of yeah. feeling as though you've lost your dream, which I am familiar with, yeah. you know, yeah. there's the, the flip side of that, which could possibly have been that your presence may not have necessarily been helpful yep. you know so yeah I, I wouldn't necessarily um i respect and i understand what you're saying in terms of growing from that journey and i i applaud you for being able to you know with hindsight look back and see that but i also wouldn't beat yourself up too much about it because i know those moments and i know that feeling of um well, I'm a goalie. I mean, I know what it is yeah. to be sitting on the bench watching somebody else play the game that you want to be playing in. And I know that feeling well. And it, you know, it's not always possible to grab the pom poms and, and cheer them on. Um, yeah, 100%. So this goes on to so many segues for me that I want to explore. And I mean, one of them being you get cut from Team Canada. In that moment, the possibility has to exist in your mind. You know, is that it? it? You know, am I getting back to the team? Am I going to get back onto the team or is that it? Um, what was that like for you? What was your experience with the possibility of potentially losing, as you said yourself, the identity of, of what you knew yourself to be? Yeah, it was, it was definitely a thought. Um, I know that I had told myself like I was 
not going to make any rash decisions the rest of that season. Yeah. Um, and I took my time coming back to the CWHL because I was like, I hate hockey. Yeah. I don't want, and 20, like the centralization of 2018 was a grind. Um, and I think if you ask any of the players that were there, regardless if they made it or not, um, they felt the same way. And so I took my time getting back to the CWHL. And I think once I did get around to that, I started to identify myself not as the hockey player but as a person that it was enjoyable to be around the rink and um that confidence kind of came back but I I think what really hit me is I went to the strength and conditioning camp in May and we had a four nations went to camp in September had a good camp and I mean one of I touched on one of the big things was I needed to get fitter yeah um and I put in a lot of work with my strength coach in Montreal Corey Kennedy and I really felt like I was making a lot of improvements and I didn't make that four nations team coming out of, so it would have been 2018 four nations yeah. and I didn't make that team. And that was the moment that I was like, I'm done. Yeah. I'm not doing this for another four years. I'm not going through this. Like I made the changes I wanted to make. And like three days later and like, I, I dealt with it, how I, was dealing with things like I, I got through it, but about three days later, Gina Kingsbury calls me and was like, Hey, like selection of four nations was, we're just taking these people to this, but you'll be going to the rivalry series in February. And I was like, you could have communicated yeah. that three days sooner because I was about to go a yeah. Like I was, I was not happy. I had crossed everything off. Like I was done. Yeah. Um, and once we had the conversation in a mature manner, <laughs> it was understandable yeah. to see that there was a plan in place. But I think that it was just like, Oh, I've done everything that I can and it's still not good enough. Yeah. And I was like, I'm done. I'm not. And it was kicking the gut, but, um, eh, yeah, we just had to be mature and have proper communication, but it was, it was good to know that the work that I had put in had been noticed yeah. because, that's what I was, I think, most frustrated about is that I had made the decision to change things and it, it wasn't good enough right away, but obviously it was. It just was in a different manner. I think. Yeah. So don't make the Four Nations team. Clearly the program's not done with you. Sounds like at this place you find a, a, a moment of peace in this conversation with Kingsbury and and you know, get to a place where you can respectfully know that you still have a place in this. So yes. stick with the program. What happens from there? What happens from there is that the year? I think it's the year. Um, I came back and won CWHL defenseman of the year. Um, was named assistant captain in Montreal, which Montreal's a tough place to be a leader, but it was something I was very proud of in the sense of they didn't know me. Like it's not like it's Toronto and yeah. I've grown up around coaches here and there. Yeah. Like they didn't know me and they had the respect for me. And that's something I've always proud, pride myself in is my leadership. Yeah. Um, made the rivalry series team played well, and then went to Espo Finland, which all in all, when looking back at it, and that quad was not a good spot for us as a team and winning bronze. 
Um, but for me personally, it was just getting all of my things in check in life. I think once I had that call with Gina, it was like, okay, I know like we had the CWHL then. So it was just a weekend thing every weekend. Like we were kind of getting into the routine of that. I was coaching at the time. I was loving that. Had my dog. So I was enjoying his company. Like it was just, I was putting pieces of my life back together. I think, um, seeing a therapist, I was doing different things that were helping put me in a position to not even just succeed, but just to be happy. Um, so yeah, I did a lot of work on myself that year. I think as much as the centralization year after getting cut was a lot, I think I took the time I needed to do what I needed to do and deal with however I was dealing with it. But I think that next year it was like, okay, now I have the tools in place to actually learn how to do things and deal with them. And, um, I think it was a big turn of the page and kind of on to the next chapter for me. So I think it was 2020. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was 2020. Um, you wrote an article for hockey Canada and, uh, you know, one, first off, you know, share, share a bit about that article and, and why did you do that? Why was that? Why were you compelled to do that? Um, I don't know how the conversation started, but one of our media people with Hockey Canada reached out to me, um, and it was around, um, mental health week or something. It was October, I think it was October 20th that it came out. And um, my birthday, they had asked, thank you, my birthday. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you for giving me a reason to share something. Um, And they approached me as I had kind of started to talk a little bit more of what my struggles had been with after I'm getting cut in 2018 and just being more outspoken about what I was dealing with. I think also I was having confidence now to have conversations with um, people on our staff with Hockey Canada about how I was doing if things weren't good for me, why that was like, it's not like, Hey, I'm just in a bad mood. Like, this is like one of the big conversations I always had with um, our one mental skills coach was when I would change medication, I often lose my appetite. So having to deal with that while trying to perform at a national team level is not ideal. So having those conversations and then having Kim to be like, Hey, I think this is something that we should bring to Gina to give a heads up kind of thing. So different things like that. And, the article media person came to me and asked if I would be willing to write an article on my story and kind of like a player's tribute article. And I don't know how I've, I've always enjoyed writing. I journal. Um, but this was really powerful for me to be able to actually write down. And as much as people thank me for, talking about what I've been through and the struggles that I've been through. Um, I actually really owe a big thank you to Hockey Canada for giving me that platform because I think it really took a lot off of my plate. Mm -hmm. Um, I think my teammates understand me a lot better now. I know my friends and my family have always kind of known, but I think some of my family members read a lot more than they knew. Yeah. 
Um, and yeah, it was a pretty emotional. I remember that day I was up at the cottage and my phone blew up and I was so overwhelmed. And my mental skills coach that I was just talking about, we, she, I had kind of continued to send it back and forth with her for drafts and we had done a great job, like talking about what we did and didn't want to share. Yeah. And at the end of it all, we just said, we're like, um, how do I deal with this now? Yeah. Like this, it's not backlash, but all this that's coming out yeah. of it. And in hindsight, Kim and I are like, well, we weren't very prepared for <laughs> what was to come from that because yeah. it was fantastic, but it was so friggin' overwhelming yeah. that it was like, and back in a rabbit hole I go because yeah. like the people that would reach out to me and like, I feel so thankful, but I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. like I am at the time I was 25 and I'm like, I can't talk to you about your six-year-old child. Like, I, I yeah. don't know how to, I'm not equipped to, I can tell my story and I can tell you how I deal with things, but yeah. like, I can't, I don't feel like I have the right or the power to give advice or yeah. anything like that. And so it was a lot. It was a lot, but I, I am very thankful for it. Yeah. And I mean, it was, you know, as somebody who went through similar experiences and with the program long before you, because when I joke that you're getting old, we all know that I can't joke that you're getting old. Um, but, you know, to kind of see that play out and, um, you know, I was just really it was cool for me. It was cool to kind of sit there and see hockey Canada, give you that platform and yeah. be in a place where they were perhaps ready to step in and support the whole athlete instead of just, it, it almost in that moment gave an opportunity to redefine, you know, strength and conditioning and, you yeah. know, all of the tests and the measurables and, and what they want to see from us as athletes and now all of a sudden we are considering this whole other realm of the person that yep. does in fact give you an opportunity to be a stronger player, to be a stronger teammate, to be a stronger leader, because it takes all of those things off the table. And I, I, I love that about your story. Um, now, you know, one of the things that you said, and I don't know if you're going to remember saying this, so I'm going to hope you do. We did a, a chat together with Michael Landsberg with a hockey organization. I don't remember. I, I don't remember who it was for. In that conversation, you were talking and you explained a moment that I think was so powerful to me because I don't know that I'd ever, even as somebody who's been speaking about this now for as long as I have, I don't know that I'd ever had anybody who was so in the same box as myself to hear you say it and understand that I was so not alone with that. And you were talking about after the Olympics, you guys had won a gold medal and you got back into the change room and, you know, you were looking around at all of your teammates celebrating and, and being excited for this. And you could still in yourself see or feel that, difference that that difference in terms of can you explain that a bit if you remember what I'm talking about I'm trying to tiptoe into it so that if you don't remember we can just ignore this but no I think one of my big things was the celebration but I was also so terrified of what was to come yeah 
um, and coming down from the high that the Olympics is. Um, It was a big fear of mine, honestly, from the day that I was named to the team. Um, Like, I was like, this is what I have been 27 at the time, but 27 years of my life, like, I was like, I want have wanted to go to the Olympics more than anything. Like, I would say that there are two things that I have dreamed about my entire life, which are the Olympics and having a family. Yeah. And the having a family part, like that kind of, that's obviously down the road, but it's also like, you don't know when exactly it's going to happen. Whereas the Olympics, I'm like, these are the dates and this is when I want to be there. And being in the dressing room, like I took it all in by all means, but I just remember afterwards, like it was like, I was almost backtracking in the sense of I don't want it to keep going forward because I know as soon as I get on that airplane and go home, like what next? Yeah. And I think part of me is still like that. Um, I think there's a conceived notion that as an Olympian, you're on another pedestal. Um, like you look at a Penny Alexiak, a Michael Phelps, a Sarah Nurse, a, like a Tessa Virtue. And I, I put those people, maybe this is just me personally, but like I put those people on pedestals for what they've accomplished at the Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. And you come home and there's no difference in your day-to-day life. Yeah. And when I say no difference, like, I mean, there is literally no difference in my day-to-day life. Yeah. Like I live in a building and I bet you not one person knows that I have an Olympic gold medal sitting in my house here. Like it's like, and I'm not saying that I expect it, but it's, there's different things that you realize, like my life hasn't changed an inch. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fantastic, but it's also kind of, like uh the the wind gets let out of the sails in a sense because there's so much hype around the games and for two weeks after and then after that it's like "Eh, that happened and i think that part of it too i think it brings into a little bit of frustration about being a female athlete yeah um because I'm, i'm not saying i want a police escort outside by any means, but like, I, I I would like a little bit of just, um, equal respect that our male counterparts get. Yeah. Um, and in that sense, it's like, there's still, we're still fighting for the exact same things as female hockey players. And so it was this coming down from what, I had built up for 27 years of my life mm-hmm. to really come back to exactly where I was. Yeah. Albeit with a gold medal, which is fantastic. <laughs> it helps uh, a little. It's just like, <laughs> it does. But it's like nothing has changed. Yeah. And it takes a lot to remind myself of that and kind of stay on top of that kind of day-to-day life. So if you don't mind me asking, because I know we haven't actually mentioned it here and if it's if it's not something you feel comfortable with do you have an actual diagnosis in terms of your mental health 
Um, no, well, no, okay. I would say no. Like, um, I don't actually, seeing as I was literally 14 when I started on medication, yeah. like. They're just medicating you for yeah, stuff. Like I, I, like I, I have anxiety and I know, no, I don't even have a family doctor, so I don't yeah. really know. But, so I know that journey yeah, well. I, just, I, I know that journey yeah. too well. Yeah. So yeah. any doctor that sees me now, usually I've known for 15 years with Hockey Canada. Yeah. So I see them every year, once a year, maybe. Okay. So, no, I guess I technically don't. Okay. So let's go back for one second. You were just talking on, touching on, and I think that it's, uh, it's, it's discouraging. It's disappointing for me anyway. Um, you know, but talking about that disparity between women and men in sport, um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we see it differently from the outside sometimes when it's, and I mean, obviously I, I know better personally just because I understand it a bit differently, but what is that struggle like? What is that struggle really like? I mean, you get over to the Olympics, you're watching the men, you're watching, you know, their journey. And now gratefully, I will say this. I do actually think more people watch the women's Olympic hockey than men's at this point. So, I mean, I love that fact and I'll say it over and over again as often as I can, but you know, we get back and, and, you know, you've talked about the CWHL, you know, past league, we've both played in it. It no longer exists. You know, we look at the current state of, um, women's hockey and the, shall we say battle to create um, mm-hmm. a mutual understanding of what the highest league should be, what it should look like, what it should offer the players. Um, did I do that diplomatically enough? That was good, right? I think so. Yeah. Because it's, yeah. Cause it's not even just like the one thing I will say is it's not a battle between two sides. It's a battle amongst every women athlete, in general. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which I think is where, people struggle because yeah. they're like, Oh, it's a battle between two sides. And it's like, no, it's a battle no. collectively yeah. to make something. Yeah. And, and, so, and, yes, and different ways to go about fighting for it is how exactly. I see it. I mean, as somebody who's yeah. not in the leagues at this point, although, you know, I, I can still skate if anybody ever needs a goalie, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm old. I know, but you know, I, that's the way I see it is it's just collectively, women of a very elite level of hockey in this instance who are going about fighting for the same thing differently. And, and, you know, hopefully someday we see everybody get to that place where it exists. But I mean, how hard is that? How hard is it at this point to, cause I remember back when I was, when I was in the league and, you know, trying to, to manage, getting older and having the responsibility of family and mortgages and bills and life and a job. And, and, you know, so what does that look like now? Like, how does that translate for a female athlete today? Well, I think I'm very thankful in the sense of our support from carding, like being a carded athlete is fantastic. And then also being like supported with hockey Canada funds is quite quite good right now yeah. so in that sense like we have the ability to train and play full-time I mean I'm, I'm an assistant coach at University of Toronto but it's not like that is a all-consuming 
um, type of job. But I think that the hardest thing for me, and this kind of goes off your question, but kind of not like the hardest thing at this point in time is like, I know what we're doing is right. I know that this is what is needed, not just for us, but for the future of our game. Um, but it is tough to sit there and not have a leak. Yeah. Like I, I think about it. Marie Philippe Plan has not played in a structured league in four years. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. Like she is the greatest female hockey player to ever play. Will probably be in the top 10 conversation of greatest hockey players to ever play the game based on her successes. Yep. yep. And she has not played in a league for four years. And it's, that's where it gets hard to swallow. Um, just that it's like, it, it needs time to develop. I completely understand that. I completely understand the business side of it because we want to get this right. Yeah. But you sit here and as an athlete, all you want to do is play. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And it's, these are prime years of my career. And it's just like, unfortunately, how the cards have been laid out, like this is just the way it's going to be. And um, we're going to get there. And I know that we will. Um, and I'm extremely excited for that. But at the end of the day, like you sit here and you're like, well, it just, it's just sucks. Yeah. Which is not even the right way to put it. But at the same time, like that's no, what it, it comes does. down to. Is yeah. I wish that we could play more and we are doing everything that we can to put ourselves in the best possible positions for the year that we have. Like I can't say enough good things about what the PWHBA is doing, but it's just like, shoot. Like we don't get to play. And that's where it's just like, it is what it is, but it's also just a crummy situation. Yep. Yeah. And and, I mean, I don't want to go into it too far because to be quite honest, I don't have enough of the information to, to not ignorantly misguide the conversation. So I'm not going to do that. Um, But I, I I am going to dive into a conversation that nobody wants to have. And I know I get asked about it a lot right now. And I don't think we can, I don't think we can responsibly have two people who have any affiliation at any point in their life to hockey Canada, have a conversation and not have this be something that perhaps gets approached. Um, and that being the current state of hockey Canada. And uh, I mean, where does it go from there? I mean, are we, are we in a position now where this is the demise of hockey Canada? Is this something that we recover from? Is it, is this undoing necessary? Um, you know, what's, what's kind of the feel from inside hockey Canada at this point as a player, respectfully. Um, and you know, is this, is the rest of the country, is the rest of the world being unfair to hockey Canada right now? Or is it, is it accurate criticism? Well, I will start by saying this is all personal. Absolutely. Opinion 100%. That I am saying. I'm Speaking on, speak behalf on behalf of Aaron Ambrose. Yeah. Yes. And um, I kind of go back and forth. I think that, let me be clear on what I go back and forth on. Because <laughs> uh, there are some things I'm very, yeah. Like, I go back and forth on different parts of, I think it was mishandled 100, 1000, one, like beyond belief. 
Um, I think that it's been acknowledged-ish that it was mishandled. Um, but I think that there are different parts of what Hockey Canada is. Like Hockey Canada is the whole branch itself oversees very many different pieces, um, whether that be minor hockey, whether that be the high performance side and within the high performance side, the different trees of yeah. that. And I think that it took me a little bit because I was grouped onto obviously that one side and um, it was hard for me to fathom being able to be out there and be representing that. And um, I don't think that there's a lot of it that I can completely relate to in the sense of I, that culture is not what we on the women's side have. Yeah. Um, I've never been more proud to be a part of a group than I am of the hockey Canada women's national team program. Yeah. Um, like, and I stand firm with that, like that group, that culture that we have created is the best I have ever seen, whether I've had a hand in coaching or playing in any group, Yeah. how we lift each other up and push each other to be stronger is something I cannot even begin to explain to other people. So I think when I look at it from that, from that perspective, that I am so proud to be a part of and so proud to represent. And that's where I have to kind of separate it to not look at the other pieces of Hockey Canada in which have rightfully been disgusting, yeah. Um, yeah. to put it lightly. Um, but that is not how or what we associate with. Um, unfortunately, obviously, we wear the same logo. Yeah. Um, and I think that there has been some <sighs> the way that opportunities have arisen for players down the line, I don't think was handled correctly. Um, again, from a personal standpoint, yeah. I think that, um, I mean, we talk about our code of conduct and what we adhere to and um there's a lot of things that would not fly to ever wear the jersey again and it's not yeah anything on a legal scale yeah we'll put it that way yeah. um with so I with differentiation that, between the two programs you mean as correct. the code yeah. of conduct for the women's program there is a lot that nobody would tolerate yeah yeah so i think there's but then when I talk about not sure where I, I, I think the, the one thing that I have, and I actually took it from Jeff Merrick talked about it um, during one of their, they had one of their heritage uh, meetings yep. at, in Ottawa and it was about the, the slush. Yeah. I yep. use that in quotations and um, Merrick made a point that any major corporation has money set aside and that's where i sit here from the business standpoint and i'm like it's yes is it from the funds of people's fees yes but if it wasn't then it would be from the funds from something else and it's just there's different things that from the corporation or from the business standpoint like yeah you don't like to see that okay it's linked to my players my child's registration yeah. fees yeah. but at the same time if it wasn't yeah it would be from our 
winning of something. And I know that that doesn't make it worse or better, but the money has to come from somewhere when something's not covered by insurance. Yeah. And that is any business anyway. Yeah. Um, so that's the part where I'm like, I, I stand with Canadians wanting change in Hockey Canada. Yeah. I mean, you look at our statements that we've put out, um, the two that we've put out. And I'm proud to be a part of this group. We want change in the culture of Hockey Canada. We want change on the board. Um, we want to see, and that's something that I want to make sure that is emphasized more than anything, is that's a pass. And we do believe that we have the ability to have an impact on the future um, and what's to come with Hockey Canada and the corporation that it is. Yeah. And, and I think that that's a message that we really need to to emphasize because I think that, it, it, you know, first off, I, I, I agree with you. You know, it's appalling and it's horrible. And I do think it was mishandled and, um, there's, there are no excuses. There's no excuses for that behavior being acceptable in any realm or hidden or put aside. Uh, I also, you know, come from a strong enough business background that I do understand, you know, that, that, that fund that is sitting there, you know, it's not as though it was sitting there as, a fund for that purpose. It was sitting there as a pool of money that should there be a legal expense that arises, they have, you know, the means to have funds available so that hockey can continue to operate after that. AKA Aaron Ambrose takes puck off her forehead at a tournament and, and, you know, isn't able to be fully compensated in a way that supports a good quality of life after the fact that money has to come from yeah. somewhere. Um, exactly. and, and so I, I, I objectively can remove myself enough from the emotional attachment to it to completely understand what you're saying and, and agree with that. Um, my hope is that we continue to share this messaging strongly enough that people do understand that that disparity is there and that, you know, there is a need to change a portion of this hockey culture within hockey Canada immensely. And the only hope that can come from this in my perspective is that we're able to, you know, grow from this and there's, there's no apologizing for it. There's no, there's no, there's nothing that can be said that's going to make what happened. Okay. So we can either learn and build and make sure as hell it never happens again. And make sure that all of the, you know, checks and balances are in place to make sure it's not possible for it to happen again. And so, you know, I, I, I don't want to put you on the spot with that, but I think it's an important conversation to be had because the one thing that I have seen with a couple of the major sponsors and some of the supporters of team Canada is that they have taken the time to make that differentiation between, you know, we're going to cut our funding to this program until they get, get their stuff together but that doesn't mean yep. we're not going to continue to support women's or para or yep. youth minor hockey. And a lot of people don't understand that, as you said, that, you know, Hockey Canada isn't just Team Canada. Hockey Canada exactly. ensures every single provincial hockey organization across our country. And yep. without that, minor hockey as we know it ceases to exist. And so, you know, I think it's just an important conversation for us to keep having. I could keep you for hours. Um, I, I, I love your story. I love your journey. Um, I 
will absolutely respectfully reserve the right to invite you back to chat in the future and kind of follow up with where you're going. Um, you know, I, I didn't ask, I'm going to ask, you know, are, are we going for another Olympics? Do we know? Yes, we are. We, are. we like it. We are. We are. We are. Excellent. We haven't had the conversation with Gina yet, but we are. Okay. Okay. Gina, <laughs> you are now, you are now. Gina, if you're listening to yeah, this. Yeah, I'll make sure that we send this. So we'll send the link to Gina at hockeycanada.ca that uh, Aaron plans on being around for the next gold medal. I like it. And yeah, I said it. Yes. So now you got to bring it home. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Aaron, for joining me today, for being so open with your story. Um, you know, it makes a huge difference and it, it is a conversation that we need to continue to have. And I think it's such an important conversation right now as we see so many athletes struggling with, you know, the transitions that are faced and and everybody, you know, we we think that it makes it different because you're an Olympian and you're a hockey player. But at the end of the day, as you said, you come home and your life hasn't changed. And, and as somebody who lives with the complexity of, you know, struggles with mental health and, and the extremes of, you know, where you've been able to achieve success in life, just, uh, you know, very appreciative. Cause I know that it would be a lot easier and a lot less of a burden to not share that part of the journey and, and keep that, uh, keep that to yourself. So thank you for being open with yourself for sharing and giving of your time. And, uh, I look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you. And thank you for giving me the platform to share my story. So thank you. Absolutely. Pleasure. Thanks for hanging out with us on another episode of Speakeasy, where we believe conversations are meant to be had out loud. Share this episode to help others find the show and don't forget to rate and review on Spotify. You can also join me at kfisher30 on Instagram as I travel across Canada and the U.S. tackling the current mental health crisis with colleges and universities.